Today on the Jake Brend Experience, we dive in to the Cyhawk game from this last weekend and the problems in the quarterback room of Iowa and maybe just within the Iowa football program. We look at how Iowa State has something with Hunter Deckers and he has it, whatever it is. And finally, we finish at taking a dive into how far Nebraska football has fallen after their loss to Georgia Southern. Hello and welcome to the Jake Brend Experience. It's episode one. Wherever you're listening, welcome. It is about three o'clock here in Indianola. I'm on 88.9 KSTM, The Storm, and I'm really excited for this year of sports. And we're going to start off with what's most prevalent to Central Iowa, which is what this podcast will be about. Central Iowa sports and what people in Central Iowa care about. And, of course, the biggest event of the last week was the Cyhawk game. Now, however you want to look at it, whether it was big and glamorous or really ugly and hard to watch, very prevalent. And we start off with a nightmare for Iowa State as Tyler Perkins lines up to punt and has it blocked by Lucas Van Ness. And it'll be a three and out as Tyler Perkins gets set to punt it away. And it's blocked! It's scooped up at the 22. And Iowa will have it in the red zone. Iowa gets the ball on Iowa State's side of the field, and it only takes them two plays to score. It's LaShawn Williams punching it in for Iowa's first of the season. Again, LaShawn Williams getting the start, but told we will probably see Gavin Williams. But here it is LaShawn Williams tacklers in for Iowa's first touchdown of the season. Iowa State responds, though, and Jairo Brock takes the ball at the Iowa 1, but chaos ensues. Deafening inside this stadium. Ball is loose. Fumbled into the end zone, and Iowa jumps on it. Logan Cliff. Iowa State forces a punt and drive down the field, and Jace Gilbert finally gets the Cyclones on the board. 22-yard field goal here for Jace Gilbert, the freshman. And low kick for the true freshman, but bottom line, he got it through. At this point, Iowa State looks like they're in command of the game, but they're still down 7-3. They force an interception, but can't seem to get out of their own way. We've been on the side of Iowa State. Frustration for the Iowa offense continues. Petras deflected and intercepted into the hands of Colby Reeder, and the Delaware transfer returns it down near the 10-yard line. We're also expecting rain to start in the third quarter. Deckers going for the end zone, and that is intercepted. Picked off by Cooper DeGene. Third quarter, Iowa looks to go up 11 with Monty Potabam. You said it, wearing his number, switch positions like he did. Here they run it up the middle behind him, and Monty Potabam, did he get in? Did he lose the football as well? Looked like he dropped it, so Iowa State thinks they have it. So Iowa State has to go 99 
yards. And if you're Kirk Ferentz, I think that's something that you like to see when you have Phil Parker's defense, one of the best in the country. But Iowa State does it in 21 plays, and Xavier Hutchinson caps it off. Deckers goes for Hutchinson, and he's got it. Touchdown. There are no flags. And Iowa State has the lead. I mean, that is a drive that will go down in Cyclone history. It, Against all odds, backed up in Kinnick Stadium. In that end zone, it, you don't really get to experience it unless you're on the field. And I was lucky enough to be on the field for this game. It feels like the fans are on top of you when you're on the field. It, it, you really have to be on the sideline to feel it. But when you're on those sidelines, there's maybe like 15 feet separating the sideline and the front row. So so the fans are looking over top of you, and when they're cheering, it feels, it feels so real. It's not like you're at a high school stadium or even Jack Trice Stadium where it's this more modern setup it's it's really tough when you're pinned back in that end zone especially since the Kinnick renovations so Iowa State starts it off with a quarterback sneak that just gets them two yards which is really the most important play of that entire drive and then draw Iowa offsides and then the rest is history they drive down and they give themselves a 10-7 lead and if you're Kirk Ferentz I think that's what you want going into that game if you tell Kirk that in order for Iowa State to win they're gonna have to go the length of the field in between the third and fourth quarter I think you take those odds but Iowa after a bunch of chaos with penalties and turnovers in the rain they get one last try to sit this thing to overtime And there you have it. Iowa State wins their first Cyhawk game since 2014. A six-game losing streak is broken over a seven-year span, and it was a historic one. I I don't even know how to explain that game because it was so ugly. And you hear a lot of people say it feels like neither team deserved to win, but I I think I disagree. I the biggest question I had from this game was, was the game more about Iowa's struggles or Iowa State's success? And I would lean that it's Iowa's struggles because the offense was just so, so bad. And we'll we'll get into that later in the show. But Spencer Petras is by far the worst quarterback in Power 5. He's maybe the worst quarterback in in all of college football. And I think the story of this game is that Iowa's offense is a national laughing stock. It's not a Cyhawk thing. It's not just this thing in central Iowa. Obviously, in Iowa, it's the most talked about thing, but it's something that's being mentioned nationally on ESPN, on Fox Sports, just how bad the Iowa offense is. And you got to see in this game showcased that the Iowa defense is hyped up to be what it is. Say what you want about Iowa State's turnovers. They still held the Cyclones to 10 points. And 
It's not fair at all. Tory Taylor even had like a down game by his standards. So for Taylor to not pin any punts inside the five, uh, I think he pinned one inside the ten, and Iowa's defense was still able to do what they were do do what they were supposed to do, and the Iowa offense couldn't capitalize. I think it says more about Iowa struggles, but I don't think that's supposed to take away from Iowa State's success because Iowa State's offense was very, very impressive to me that they looked good against southeast missouri state but that's not a measuring stick game that that's a game that you should score 40 points and we saw everything we wanted to see out of hunter deckers everything that we'd heard out of the iowa state coaching staff from the iowa state media deckers looked the part but to see him do that in kinnick stadium really really impressed me and this wasn't a surprise to me. It might have been a surprise to Iowa fans, but as someone who's been watching Xavier Hutchinson since he got on campus in Ames, he was the best player on the field. And he has transformed his body from a very good college receiver to a potential NFL wide receiver. In the way that he plays, he's so smooth, he's so shifty, and you can tell that he spent the entire offseason in the film room. He He's getting double covered every time. And it's not like he's getting double covered against Southeast Missouri State. He's getting double covered by this Iowa defense that are ball hawks. Like, it's not a coincidence that they forced so many interceptions. Did you see how many balls they tipped on on well-thrown balls from Deckers? So, X getting to his spots. He had 19 targets, 11 catches, over 100 yards. He had the game-winning touchdown, of course. I think the Iowa State offense looks really good. And, and that's what we'll get into later. And finally, Hunter Decker's just, he has that it factor. He, it's something that you can't explain. It's something that when you watch, you just feel. And when Decker's threw his second interception from the sidelines, I could see it. He just walked off the field and said, all right, let, let's go. It, it, it's major college football. It, it's a rocky road. Not everything's going to go perfect. And he bounced back in such a good way. But that's what we'll talk about in our second segment. Our, our first segment it has to be Spencer Petrus. And it's not all on Spencer Petrus. This is way more, I believe, the blame of Kirk Ferentz and his son Brian. And, and I think it really comes down to a mix of Ferentz's stubbornness and a mix of his loyalty. You keep hearing Kirk in his press conference after the game. You hear it at his Tuesday presser during the week. He practices well. He practices better than anyone else. He, like, who cares that he practices well? He is not good enough to be starting for a major Power 5 team. You can say all that you want about how Petrus looks in practice, but at some point, the game has to matter. And Ferentz has said, to his credit, which I, I do agree that we haven't seen enough of just Petrus because the offensive line play has been so bad. And the wide receivers, Nico Regani and uh, Keegan Johnson, sorry, I was blanking on the name, they're both hurt. So he is he's throwing to one scholarship wide receiver, which is true. Ar Arlen Bruce is a, is a good player, but he's not a number one option. But we've seen Petrus over the course of the last two years 
with a healthy offensive line, with Tyler Linderbaum, with a fully healthy wide receiver room, with uh, with a with a good running back group, and he still hasn't looked the part. Granted, he hasn't looked this bad, but how bad does he need to look before they give Alex Padilla a chance? And let's not act like Padilla came in and blew the doors off last year. There's a reason that after he started two games, that there's a reason that they went back to Petrus, but there's no way that Padilla can be worse than this. There's no way that he can have a quarterback rating of three on a scale of one to 100. And again, Iowa is wasting a nationally great defense and the nation's best punter because their offense is so incompetent. They scored one, they've scored one touchdown this season. And it was when they had a short field of, I want to say it was 20 yards on, on their first touchdown, 16 yards. That was the field that they scored on. Other than that, the only points that they've scored this year were on a field goal and two safeties. That is horrendous. They're dead last in the country. And with 158 yards per game, the second worst in the country is New Mexico State with 230. It's embarrassing. It's I'm an Iowa State fan, and it's embarrassing to see a team in the state of Iowa get this much press nationally for their offense being historically bad. And I think that it's condescending the way that Ferentz has gone about it. Like, I'm the one who's who sees him throughout the week. I see him every day. Our coaching staff sees him every day. We see how he goes about practice. We see how he communicates with his teammates. Yes, all that stuff's great. It's a part of it, but we only see him on Saturday. The media only sees him on Saturday. The fans, the fans that are paying thousands of dollars between donations and parking and tickets, the fans that are booing, They only see him Saturday. And at the end of the day, Saturday is all that matters. If if I'm getting surgery, I don't want a surgeon that says, yeah, I was a really, really good tester in college, but I just don't really have it when the the lights come on, when I get the the knife in my hand. Who who would want to go to that? Or a chef that was just, he aced culinary school, but he doesn't know how to cook a steak medium rare. At some point, results matter. And at some point, if results don't come, there has to be a change. And this isn't an attack on Spencer Petrus. I personally feel bad for him. The guy is mentally defeated. He got booed by his own fans in pregame. I don't know if I've ever heard of a player get booed pregame when it, when it's just the students there and they go through the starting lineups Usually the very worst is like a very, very mediocre applause and the very best is when Tory Taylor gets announced and the, and the crowd goes wild and starts chanting MVP. But for a player to get booed, let alone the quarterback, what does that do to a guy? And uh, you, you have to understand that you have to have thick skin when you come to play major college football. It, it's a part of it. You have to get when you overthrow a player by five yards or by 15 yards on a simple out route. But what does it do to the confidence when it's the first missed throw you have of the game? 
I can't even imagine the amount of pressure that Petrus has put on himself, the pressure that Ferentz has put on Petrus by keeping him out there, the pressure that he has to silence his own fan base, the pressure he has to not be the nation's laughingstock in college football. You feel bad for the guy, and the best thing that could possibly be done would be have him taken out. Last year in the Cyhawk game, a, a call that I thought was questionable at the time but seemed to really pay off was, was Matt Campbell benching Brock Purdy in the fourth quarter. Purdy, for whatever reason, just didn't have it that day. The Iowa defense embarrassed him. Torrey Taylor pinned Iowa State at inside their own territory deep. It seems like every single time in the pressure of being ranked preseason number eight got to Iowa State and Purdy was not mentally in the game. So Campbell went to the bullpen, put in Deckers, told Purdy to just get a breather. And, and that's what you see happen in hockey. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, I, I can never say his name correctly, the, the Lightning goalie, best goalkeeper in the league, gave up, I want to say, five goals. Game one of the Stanley Cup Finals this year. It's a little fuzzy. It was all the way back in June. And they pulled it. The best goalie in the league got pulled because in a game that you're already going to lose, or sorry, in a game that you have a really good chance of losing, you don't want your goalie to continue to give up goals to just kill his confidence because that can ruin somebody. And Spencer Petras is ruined from the mental side of it to the fundamentals. He is not the same quarterback that came into this program in 2018. He's just not. He's not the same quarterback that played against Purdue in 2020 in the first game, even when they got killed. And he's not the same quarterback that walked into Kinnick Stadium last year when they beat Penn State while ranked second in the country. He is a different quarterback. His footwork is different. His confidence is completely different. He is broken. And Brian Ferentz, not to his credit, is giving Petrus footwork and mechanic advice in the middle of a game if you're if you're getting advice on your footwork in the middle of the game if you're thinking about your footwork in the middle of your progression while you have Will McDonald on the other side of the line coming for you in front of 70,000 people if you're thinking about if you're planting your foot right you're not going to make your throws that is something that is supposed to be repetition after repetition after repetition in the offseason in the week in between games to the point where you do it so much that it is muscle memory. And when it's not muscle memory, I can speak from experience playing tennis. When you're going out there and you're thinking, am I getting my racket back enough? Am I getting my serve high enough? Am I moving my feet? If you have to think about that, if you're focused on that and not the ball, if you're not focused on where you're hitting the ball, you're going to lose almost every single point you're in and it's just a mental battle. You can think back to golf, too. My, my golf career, if I'm thinking every single time, am I doing every single little part of my swing right, I'm going to shank the ball. I'm going to hit it off the toe. Like that, That's just that's how sports work, and it's such a mental game. And Petrus is broken, and you feel bad for him. But let's go maybe 
just maybe, Spencer Petras is by far the best option that Iowa has, which I think is a pretty realistic possibility. And if that's the case, then that is a total indictment on Brian and Kirk Ferentz. Petrus has one touchdown and nine interceptions since the Penn State game last year. One to nine. If that is the best option that you have, that says so much about the development within the Iowa football program for quarterbacks. It says a ton about recruiting because there, there is no way that Spencer Petrus, with all due respect to Petrus, is the best option for this football team. It, it just boggles the mind. And it's not like Petrus has always been this bad. Before the Penn State game last year, he had nine touchdowns to two interceptions. Now, no one would go as far to calling him a good quarterback. I don't even think Iowa fans were comfortable with him yet. But there is a direct change between 9-2 to two and 1-9. to nine. That That's going from a below-average quarterback, that's maybe holding the team back a little bit, to the worst quarterback in college football that is without a doubt completely holding the offense back and is threatening Iowa to not even make a bowl game. They're one play away against South Dakota State from losing that game. They overthrew a wide-open post route in the first quarter. If they score on that, who knows if Iowa's able to get any more points. Like It's just... It's insane to me that a team that won 10 games last year and went to the Big Ten Championship and granted got exposed in that Big Ten Championship game is struggling to score more than seven points. They've done it seven points in each of the first two games. It's just, it's crazy to me. And again, I think this goes back to Ferentz's stubbornness that there were 61, 61, little under half 61 new starting quarterbacks in FBS college football this year that are transfers. 61. So, all of that player movement. You've got Casey Thompson going from Texas to Nebraska. Adrian Martinez going from Nebraska to K-State. You've got, obviously, Caleb Williams going from OU to USC with Lincoln Riley. And Spencer Rattler from OU to South Carolina. You have all of that player movement. And Iowa, at least as far as we know from the outset, we're not in the program, but as far as we know, Iowa didn't even try. They decided what we have, what we have with Petrus, what we have with Padilla, we're good with that. We're going to run that back and we're going to bank on them figuring it out. We're going to bank that they're going to find the confidence and they're going to be able to lead this offense to be average because honestly all Iowa needs is their offense to be average if they're average this team is without a doubt the the best in the Big Ten West they are playing for a spot to go to Indianapolis and if their offense is above average you're talking potential 10 and 2 11 and 1 season but it's not and this Iowa team is going to be competing to make a bowl game And that is just 
completely on Kirk Ferentz not going after a transfer quarterback. There, there was rumors that Max Duggan thought about entering the transfer portal. The, I believe, senior quarterback from Western Iowa would have been a no-brainer to come back home. He, he's kind of a pocket-style quarterback. He, he can move out of the pocket a little bit, but that would have been a no-brainer for Kirk Ferentz to, to go try and get, but he stayed at TCU, and Iowa is stuck with, with what they have last year. And, again, this isn't just a bad offense. It's historically bad. It's the worst in the country. 160 yards per game, one touchdown, one field goal. Is there a point where the defense gets fed up with the offense? Because I I know I certainly would be. How, how do Jack Campbell and Spencer Benson and, and Riley Moss, how do you go out there every single time and know, have that much pressure on you that you have to score a defensive touchdown or else the offense probably won't. The the Kavion Merriweather interception in the second quarter, he had a wide open field along the sideline. And when, when he intercepted the ball, he fell to the ground, and he got up and his reaction was that he dropped it. That's what it seemed like. And I was so confused. And when you're on the sideline, you don't have the play-by-play and the and the color commentator in your ear telling you everything that's going on. So I thought for sure that he dropped it. But no, he gave that reaction. He, I don't know if he threw the ball to the ground, but he had that reaction because he knew that since he fell down, that's a turnover that's going to be wasted. And, and it was. Iowa punted. It's, it's crazy the amount of pressure to put on a defense. And eventually, that defense is going to break. When you send that defense out there that many times a game, sometimes on on short fields, the the defense that Ference has always had is oh, Petrus doesn't turn the ball over, which is a which is a fair thing. Just do your job, don't turn the ball over. We'll play field position game. But when Petrus is turning the ball over like he's been doing this season, you're giving teams the ball on the Iowa 40, you're giving them the ball at midfield. And, and at that point, when you consistently do that, the defense is going to snap. No matter how good that defense is, there's only so much strain you can put on them. Or, I mean, you look at Iowa State, which is what we're going to talk about in segment two. Iowa State moved the ball pretty well against the Iowa defense, and I don't know if that was because of exhaustion. I don't know if it was because of a game plan. I don't know if it was this more modern spread going against this Iowa offense that they're not used to, but this defense won't be able to do that all year long if the outcome that they get from the offense is the same as it has been the first two weeks. We're going to be back after the break for segment two, but we'll we'll leave you with this. Kirk Ferentz can do whatever he wants. He's earned that right. He will have a statue in front of Kinnick Stadium one day, as he should. He's one of the greatest football coaches in college football history. But something has to change. Welcome back to the Jake Brand Experience. We've been talking Cyhawk football all day long, and we've got some more of it. We talked a lot about Spencer Petrus. Without a doubt, the biggest negative of the game. Iowa fans not happy, but one fan base did leave this game happy, and 
It's the Iowa State Cyclones, and I don't think it's it's necessarily fair the amount of criticism that Iowa gets that is taken away from Iowa State's win because this was a hard-fought battle for the Cyclones, no doubt about it. This is a game that is always, always ugly since the 44, was it 41? Yeah, I think that's right. 44-41 classic back in 2017. Every single game since then has just been a slugfest. And that's, I think, what it will be like as long as Matt Campbell and Kirk Ferentz are the coaches of those respective teams. But one reason that Iowa State fans are so excited is Hunter Deckers. And Hunter Deckers looked really, really good. The stats won't tell the story. He was only... 25 of 38 for 184 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. Quarterback rating of 68.7. And I think in a Cyhawk game, you just have to wipe away the stats. I, the, the stats won't tell the story. When you're playing a defense like like Iowa has, they're definitely not going to tell the story. But what I want to talk about is everything that he did after his second interception. So, so the first interception he has the double coverage in the end zone trying to find Hutchinson ball was intercepted by Cooper DeGene that that was a forced throw that is a throw that a young quarterback is going to make that's a throw that hopefully as the season goes on he decides to not make whether he scrambles finds someone else maybe tries to get a couple yards or throw the ball away he can't make those throws got to learn how to take the points when you get in the red zone his second throw was not on him. I believe Jalen Knoll ran the wrong route. Ball went straight to KV on Merriweather. But after that, it would have been so easy for Deckers to get in his own head. It would have been so easy for him to check out, but he didn't. He strapped his helmet on, went back out there, and when he touched the ball at the one-yard line, the one-yard line is actually generous. It was like the six-inch line against an Iowa defense that forced two safeties the week before. Deckers had to have all the pressure on him, but you couldn't tell. And I was actually right behind that play. I, I was still over in the end zone because I I mean I I didn't know if there was gonna be a safety. I didn't know if they would fumble the snap, I would recover, game over. But the first play, they got a push on they got a push from their offensive line, which I'll just get to them right now. The offensive line deserves so much credit. They, Trevor Downing was the best lineman between Iowa and Iowa State. Both sides of the ball, in my opinion, on Saturday. The push that they got from Downing was incredible. And the thing that's held Iowa State back the most in the Matt Campbell era has been the inconsistent offensive line play. And the way that they looked against Iowa... There were running holes upon running holes for Jairo Brock. Hunter Deckers took one sack. That's it. One sack, and it was the first drive of the game. That is really, really, really impressive playing against a team like Iowa in a place like Kinnick Stadium. But but back to Deckers, what he did on the drive, the 99-yard drive that took 21 plays over the span of almost 12 minutes, what he did on that, will go down in Cyclone lore forever. That is a drive that will be talked about forever. That is a drive that I will tell my kids about and my grandkids about. 
That's how iconic it was. And for Deckers to do that in his first true road start. Now, last year he did play in Norman, and I believe he threw an interception on the first play, but then he responded with a touchdown. Uh, he looked really good. Didn't didn't let that interception get to him either. What he did on that drive was one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen an Iowa State quarterback do. And Deckers did it. And it is, it's football cliche to say the guy just has it, whatever it is. But whatever it is, Deckers has that. He has this confidence. I think that's a good word for it. He has a persona that he's going to go out and make a play. And to Kirk Ferentz's credit, sorry, what he wanted to do was leave the hands in the game of the Iowa State offense against his defense. Which if you told me that in order to win the game, Iowa State would have to go the length of the field, I would have thought absolutely no shot. Because the Iowa State teams of the past, no matter how good Brock Purdy was, no matter how good Brees Hall was, the Iowa State teams of the past playing in Kinnick Stadium with all of those demons against that defense, they might have got one first down through an interception. They might have fumbled at the goal line like they did last year. And Brees Hall, he never fumbled. Fumbled at the goal line, Jack Campbell returns that for a touchdown. So, it was all in the hands of Hunter Deckers, and he did it. He made throw after throw, converted on five third downs on that drive. And he did something that really I've only seen someone do against the Iowa defense twice in my lifetime off the top of my head. Big Ten Championship game 2015, Michigan State had the death by a thousand cuts drive the length of the field where they just would pick up five plays here, five plays there. Sorry, five yards there. Five yards, five yards, five yards. Finally, they score at the end of the game, and that's what Iowa State did, and that's how you beat the Iowa offense. You don't beat the Iowa offense by going with a 35-yard touchdown. You beat them by taking what the zone gives you, and that's what, to Xavier Hutchinson's credit, that's what he did so well. He he found where the pockets in the Iowa zone were. He found them, and Deckers found him. And what... And what what a weapon to have as a young quarterback in Xavier Hutchinson. He he's just incredible. But what what Deckers did was spectacular, and he should make every Iowa State fan so excited, not only for this season, but for the next season, and maybe even the season after that, for however long Hunter Deckers is wearing the cardinal and gold or the white or the black. Whatever you want to call the colors at this point. And I love Brock Purdy more than more than the guy next to me, more than anyone in the world. Brock Purdy was one of the biggest catalysts at turning around Iowa State football. He's the best quarterback in school history, the most accomplished. But Hunter Deckers has a significantly higher ceiling than Brock Purdy did. Purdy, he operated on perfection. He had such a small room for error. His his arm was average. It, it wasn't a huge arm, so he operated on finding tight ends on hook routes. He he operated on getting guys on quick slants. He had to make throws at the perfect timing because those are quick throws. And if the offensive line got blown up, if maybe a running back didn't 
didn't get a chip block correctly. If someone ran a wrong route, there was no room for error. That's why you saw Iowa State, especially in situations like this. They have struggled over the course of the years. You look at the 2020 Big 12 Championship against Oklahoma. Iowa State went the whole length of the field, and Brock Purdy made the wrong decision, and they lost. Again, last year against Oklahoma, Purdy had Chase Allen wide open just in front of the end zone, and Purdy didn't see him. Overthrew it, interception, game over. There was something about the way Iowa State's offense ran with Brock Purdy that operated on such perfection that when it wasn't perfect, it was it was really bad. And with Deckers, it's the opposite. He's got a bigger arm. He's got more room for error. If his first read's not there, he has a second read. And you, you saw that a lot with, one, credit to the offensive line for giving him time to do it, Xavier Hutchinson for getting open, but Deckers was able to make plays when plays weren't there. Same with Jairo Brock. Jairo Brock was incredible outside of the one fumble he had. But after uh, the, the offense, I think, is built better, in my opinion, as crazy as this sounds. Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen were the two best tight ends by a wide margin in school history. And Brees Hall is, in my opinion, the best running back in school history also. Better than Troy Davis. Those weapons made Iowa State's offense built to be conservative. When you have tight ends, you can't run these 15-yard post routes that go towards midfield. You have to have them line up at the sticks, do a hook route, turn around, catch, tackle. And those are plays where if you get an incompletion on that, it's really deflating to the offense. And I think not having them anymore in a way is going to be a benefit to the Iowa State offense because Tom Manning doesn't have that option really to get super conservative. So it's going to force this Iowa State offense to go downfield, which I know that I've been calling for for years that I know a lot of Iowa State fans have been calling for for years. And for the first time in the Campbell regime, I mean, maybe for the first time in my life, I feel more confident in the Iowa State offense than the Iowa State defense. And they're obviously in 2013 and 14 and 15. You can make the argument, but I wasn't confident in either of those. Since Campbell's been here, the defense has always been the heel to fall back on. They've They've been the best unit in the Big 12. Without a doubt, they've been they've been incredible. They, I mean, John Haycock reinvented the way that defense is played in football with the, with a three three five stack. But for the first time in my life, I feel more confident about the Iowa State defense or about the Iowa State offense than the defense, and that's why I think I'm so optimistic now about the season. Obviously, the team has a long ways to go. Like they haven't been challenged defensively as harsh as that is southeast missouri state obviously not a challenge iowa 
definitely not a challenge with what they bring to the table. So the defense hasn't been tested yet, but the offense certainly has been this last week. And we already mentioned it. Decker's really good. Jairo Brock isn't Brees Hall, but I don't think he has to be with the way that this offense operates. If he does what he did Saturday every game this season outside of the fumble at the one, I think you're getting 80% of Brees Hall's production from last year, which I think is fine. You're not always going to have the best running back in college football. And honestly, Brees Hall did that behind an offensive line that didn't block for him. If Jairo Brock has an offensive line that's blocking for him, even if, even if he's not as good as Brees Hall, I'm taking the good running back with a good offensive line rather than the great running back with the terrible offensive line. So that could end up being a net positive too. And the wide receivers, Jalen Jalen Knoll along with Hutchinson obviously are really good. So you've got a really, really good offense right there. Tight ends, a little bit of a question mark. But at the at the end of the day, when you're playing in the Big 12, I, d- I don't really think that matters too much. The defense, they have a long way to go. MJ Anderson's look good. Colby Reader, in his seventh year as Big 12 Newcomer of the Week. Will McDonald is the best defensive player in the Big 12, one of the best in the country. And I think that Matt Campbell might have found something with putting Anthony Johnson at safety. Because I, I, I think if you are able to pick apart the Iowa State defense over the last four years, it's usually the safeties getting beat over the top. And what Campbell has done is he's moved his best coverage player, by far Anthony Johnson, to safety, and it's kind of taken away the middle of the field. And they've just gone with hyper-athletic cornerbacks that have really high ceilings but really low floors because you have two players that didn't play cornerback before they got to college in Darian Porter the the Bettendorf product who was a state champion in the 400 and you've also got TJ Tampa who came in as wide receiver so you've got really high upside there but really really low downside but they've really really looked good TJ Tampa forced two turnovers with the tip and with the he punched Monty, pa- Monty Potterbaum's ball out on the one. So right there, you've got a lot of room to improve on the defense. They've, they've still got a ton to prove. They haven't gone against a Big 12 offense yet, and I think this game against Ohio will, will be a pretty big test. And finally, the, the special teams just has to figure it out. The If you would have told me that Iowa State would have three turnovers and two punts blocked, that's a that's a loss right there. That's the that's literally the recipe for a loss to Iowa. That that's how it's happened each of the last two year three years. Yeah, the the last game in Kinnick was twenty eighteen. They lost because Corey Dunn had a punt tipped. Or no, it wasn't even tipped. He shanked it out of bounds. Iowa got a short field. They scored the only touchdown of the game in the first five minutes. And that's exactly what this looked like. <laughs> in the third quarter, it looked like, oh, Iowa blocked a punt. 
They took advantage of it. Now they're just going to hold the Iowa State offense for the remainder of the game. And, and it certainly could have been like that. So if the special teams can just not be that bad, I'm not asking for them to be Tory Taylor. There's only one Tory Taylor in college football right now. I'm not asking for them to be able to go out there and kick 50-yard field goals. No, I'm asking for them to not miss extra points, not have punts blocked, and make field goals between 30 and 45 yards. If you get that consistently out of the special teams with what I think we know we can expect out of the offense and what history has shown you can expect out of the defense, this Iowa State team has a chance to make a run in the Big 12. The Big 12 is really, really wide open. Texas looked impressive against Alabama, as much as it pains me to say that. They did, so they'll be a force. Oklahoma seems to have found something in Brent Venables. The defense looks way improved. But obviously there's a lot of turnover with losing so many transfers last season with the Lincoln-Riley departure. Oklahoma State, their offense looks incredible, but their defense is pitiful. Baylor lost a really good game to BYU. That's a tough place to play. Also, while we're there, BYU-Baylor was was rated as the most watched late-night college football game since 2016. Two Big 12 teams, one current, one future, was able to draw more ratings than any Pac-12 game since 2016 at night. Just let that sink in. Amazon, I hope you hear that. (laughs) But those are, I would say, the four primary contenders. Kansas State looks like they're back to playing Bill Snyder ball. Adrian Martinez still hasn't convinced me. Matt Campbell has had K-State's number the last three seasons. But the Big 12 is wide open, and just like that, Iowa State went to a team where you're not sure if they're going to make a bowl game, but after what you've seen out of Hunter Deckers, I, I think you can reasonably say that they're going to compete for a spot to go to Dallas. Now, to put that expectation on them to get to Dallas... That's absurd, and that's way too far. But I don't think it's too crazy to expect, with the way the the schedule works out, having Baylor, OU at home, having West Virginia Tech at home, having to go, I mean, two of your road games, three of your road games are West Virginia, TCU, and Kansas, and I don't care how improved Kansas is, those are three road games that should be automatic victories, in, in my opinion. So... Right there, you've you've got a really good, favorable schedule that I think Iowa State should be able to, to make some noise in the Big 12 in Iowa. I think the expectation has to be just make a bowl game. After what they've seen at this point, one loss away from being 0-2. They have to play at Ohio State, at home against Michigan. Wisconsin will come to town. They look down. But lucky for them, it it seems like the entire Big Ten West is down. And the two best teams, I would say, are Illinois and Minnesota, two teams that Iowa haven't lost to in over seven years. So it's not like the season is all doom and gloom, but of course they have to figure out the quarterback spot. If they don't, they are in really really big trouble and 
This week, Iowa State has Ohio. Will be their biggest defensive test. I'm not saying that as a shot at Iowa. Ohio's offense is better than the Iowa offense. So, it will without about without a doubt be the biggest test for Iowa State. It's kind of the classic letdown trap game coming off of a emotional victory over Iowa right before Big 12 play starts against top 20 Baylor at Jack Trice Stadium. Hopefully, Matt Campbell has the guys ready, not overlooking their opponent. And Iowa, they're playing Nevada, and Nevada is so bad. They are one of the worst teams in all of college football. Gave up 55 points to FCS Incarnate Word last week. So, whoever is stepping out to play quarterback has to look good. And as of right now, they're rolling with Petrus. Everything that they've said so far, as far as the depth chart, with the the midweek press conference after the game Saturday, Ferentz has, seems, has said they're rolling with Petrus. So if Petrus goes out and looks bad against this defense, he's getting benched. So that's, I guess, why it kind of makes sense that they are going with Petrus. Because if Padilla goes out there and he looks terrible against Nevada's defense, oh boy, you got a problem. Man, if Padilla goes out there and throws two interceptions on his first two drives, you're like, well, what do you do now? So going out with Petrus, you've you've got pretty much nothing to lose because either he looks really good and Ferentz is like, oh, I've been right the whole time. He just needed to get things out of his system. He just needed to settle in. And then you can roll with him into Rutgers a week from now. And if he looks bad there, you pull him. And then again, if Padilla comes in and looks really good, it's over for Petrus. He's he's done seeing the field. So this will be the game that makes or breaks Iowa season, not from a win perspective, because they should win if they don't. That's when the seat starts to maybe get a little warm. They should win. But I think by the end of the game, we'll know who's going to be the quarterback for the rest of the season. Because if they haven't gone to Padilla yet, and Petrus looks good against Nevada, I think they're sticking with Petrus until things get really, really bad. We're going to come back after the break, and we're going to finish up with some thoughts about our friends from across the border and how far things have fallen. You're listening to the Jake Brent Experience on 88.9 KSTM, The Storm. Welcome back to the Jake Brent Experience. You're listening on 88.9 KSTM, The Storm, or wherever you get your podcasts. show will usually be on Monday mornings, recording on a Thursday afternoon this week, just getting situated, coming back to school. But guess who's not coming back to school? Scott Frost. Scott Frost came home from UCF to go coach his alma mater, to bring him back to the glory days, back to when Nebraska was Nebraska. Well, Nebraska is now no longer Nebraska or even close. They're closer to Creighton, and Creighton doesn't have a football team. Nebraska will never be back to what they once were. They are a shell of themselves And since I've been alive, I've known Nebraska to be nothing more than just a slightly better Wisconsin that at the turn of the decade 
turn to a little bit better than Northwestern. That is the state of the Nebraska football program, and with the firing of Scott Frost, they have officially hit rock bottom after their loss against Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern is who Nebraska lost to in Memorial Stadium. That is pathetic. It's horrible. I'm an I'm embarrassed to share a border with that state because their football program is so atrocious. They lost to Georgia Southern, a team that didn't even have a football program in 1983, which is the uniforms that Nebraska was wearing to honor their 1983 team. That went 12-1 and and lost in the Orange Bowl to Miami in the national championship. Let that sink in. Credit to Brent Bloom for that stat from Cyclone Fanatic and the Iowa Everywhere Network. They didn't even have a football program in 1983. Nebraska was competing for national championships. And now they've officially hit rock bottom. And oh, it's it's so horrible to see. It's so sad that a program filled with fan bases of bandwagons and front runners has to see their team be putrid and terrible. Not. I don't feel bad for Nebraska at all, and I'm not going to feel bad for Nebraska when they don't get Matt Campbell because, as Lars Anderson reports on Twitter, it is highly expected that Matt Campbell will be the next Nebraska head football coach. Okay, for the 45th time since Matt Campbell has taken over at Iowa State, He should be coaching in 45 different places right now. Somehow, Campbell is coaching USC, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Florida State, the Jets, the Lions. Oh, what else? The Washington. He's coaching all of them at the same time while also defeating Iowa as the head coach of the Iowa State Cyclones. Now, I don't want to push this off as a nothing thing. I'm sure Nebraska is interested in Matt Campbell. And I know it might be to your surprise, but the Nebraska Athletic Department having common sense and being interested in one of the best options in college football is the smart move. And Nebraska hasn't really made a bunch of smart moves lately, so that's why it is a little shocking. But Nebraska being interested doesn't mean Matt Campbell is interested. I don't know how many times you have to go through it before you just have to let Campbell's word mean his word. Campbell has said he's not leaving. He said he hasn't met with these teams, so I think it's finally time to start believing him. Now, I do think that this Nebraska job would be a good job for Matt Campbell. Don't get me wrong. With the name of his likeness resources that they have in Lincoln— with the passionate fan base that they have in Lincoln that will show up no matter what. Because as much as we like to joke that there's beaches and everything in L.A. and nothing going on in Ames, that's why people go to the games, there's actually nothing going on in Nebraska. It's just the Cornhuskers, and there's no division between two teams. There's no Iowa to pull away from Iowa State, and there's no Iowa State to pull away from Iowa. It's all Nebraska 
it's all Cornhuskers all the time. So you get the most passionate fan base in all of college football along with those resources. But that also comes with the pressure that if you're not winning 10 games, you're gone. It's so crazy how far this football program has fallen from where they were 10 years ago. Bo Pelini got fired, and he never won less than nine games. Let that sink in. Scott Frost didn't make a bowl game. He didn't beat Iowa and had a record of 15-31. and 31. That program is not the same as they once were, and they came in to the Big Ten with the ego that they were going to rule that conference, and they have done far from that. They beat Iowa once, the first time they played, and they haven't done it since. And if you want to come to the Big Ten West, you have to beat Iowa and you have to beat Wisconsin because those two teams have been the example in that division. And Nebraska has a long way to go. And if they don't hit this higher, they're looking at a really, really rough next decade because they, they're they behind. The the recruits in high school right now, the, the juniors, the seniors, the, even the sophomores, they know nothing other than Nebraska being mediocre at best. That's the truth. They don't know what went on in the Tom Osborne era. They don't remember Nebraska winning national championships and being a perennial contender. Those days are long gone and they might not ever come back if they don't hit this if they don't hit this higher as a home run. I say you go after Lance Leopold from Kansas. He's turning around at Buffalo. He's turning it around right now at Kansas. I think he would have the options to do it. But at the end of the day, no matter what coach you get, you have to give him time. If the Nebraska boosters, fan base, and athletic department don't have patience with this next coach, they will fail. If you don't have patience to let him go through the wrinkles that Scott Frost has made in the program because he has ruined it. It, it has gone downhill to be one of the laughing stocks of college football so much so that they have lost more games in Ireland than oh wait no what's the stat sorry I, I messed that up they have oh sorry they've lost one game in Europe which is half of what Germany lost in the world wars that is not going to cut it for Nebraska football when when you have to struggle to beat Northwestern, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, no matter who it is, you've fallen off. And Nebraska fans, I'm not sorry. I don't feel bad for you whatsoever, and I hope you don't figure it out ever again. Thank you for listening to the Jake Brend experience. I don't actually hate Nebraska that much. It's just really fun to see them fail. We'll be back next week on Monday morning. Thank you for listening on 88 Storm, KSTM, or wherever you get your podcasts.